All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Dean. Grateful to have you with us today. We're super excited to drop today's episode. We caught up with a friend of ours, the incredible Laura Melling. She is uh, truly an inspirational human. She has her own uh, interior design studio, Laura Melling Studios. Uh, you can check them out at lauramelling.com. Um, they do interior design, house styling, creative space styling. They have their own studio. They've been uh, together with over 15 years of experience, an all-female-led team, which is incredible. They're bringing you all what, of what you need to make your spaces look complete, beautiful, functional, and vibrant. It's truly incredible. So obviously, when we caught up with Laura, we wanted to talk about creativity. We want to talk about the influences that foster our sense of wonder, our intuition as we lean into things that we just are drawn to, spaces and places, colors, whatever it might be. And ultimately, talked about the power of design and space and thinking how design can foster these senses of safety and comfort or connection. Uh, there's certain spaces that create a sense of spirituality and how design and our interaction with design can create our human experience. And when we think about that, we can realize how important design is in our day-to-day lives. And even more so where this, when the spaces that we spend the most time, our, our homes, our offices, and Laura and her team really make those places beautiful. And, you know, as talented as she is in creating intentional space and curated designed homes, uh, Laura is more deeply faceted than just that. She is someone who is a creative business person who is looking into the idea of community and collaboration all the time. She's an incredible cyclist. We rode, let me talk about in the Baba, we rode the Fondo together, the Whistler Fondo. So much fun. And um, yeah, she's a mother. And we talk about motherhood and being an entrepreneur and a driven person and all of these things. And, and really, one of the parts of this conversation that was quite beautiful is how um, Laura was shining a light on reproductive mental health, which is not something we hear a lot of. And so, you know, Zach and I are just a couple of dudes and we're very grateful whenever we can learn from the experiences of others, especially people who don't walk in the same shoes that we do. And so we're grateful for Laura and her willingness to share uh, a light and share her experiences on this important topic. So we know you're going to love this conversation. We know you're going to love this episode and you're going to love Laura. She's just got so much energy. She's such a wonderful person. Now we are so grateful to count her as a friend and we are excited to share the story of Laura Milling and Laura Milling design uh, on a little more good here today. Before we get to the episode, here's a few words from some of our wonderful sponsors. Well, first impressions matter. There are no two ways around it. And what's the first thing that someone notices about you? In most cases, it's your face and more importantly, your skin. If you aren't already, it's time to put your best face forward. And how do you do that? By adding a skincare routine, of course. And you know what? It's not hard. You just don't have the right tools until now. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging, Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare and is here to save the day. 
And you, friends, can use our exclusive code, MOREGOOD, at calderalab.com to enjoy 20% off their best products. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Now listen, I've been doing this, Zach's been doing this, we've been on it, on the regimen for you know a number of weeks now, and I absolutely love it. Not only does it feel good to kind of like just do something nice for yourself and cleanse your face and put on the, the cream, um, it really is improving the look of my skin. Like it's visibly noticeable. It's not just one of those things where you're like, ah, it feels nice and I know that it's good for me, but I don't really notice. It's visibly noticeable. The, the fine lines... Uh, on my forehead, I, I have a very expressive forehead. It seemed to be like lessening. And um, yeah, I just feel like I have this more youthful glow uh, about myself, okay, if I can say so. Um, the regimen is amazing, okay? So inside the bundle, you'll get all your skincare dream team. The clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The clean slate starts and ends your day. It's the face wash that leaves all skin types feeling refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer that hydrates your skin and it absorbs fast, leaving you with a matte finish so you can start your day confidently. I love this one. I love the base layer. And the good is not just a great name for the product. The good is your go-to at night before bed, clinically proven multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother, as well as it helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. In every drop of this serum, there are 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. You want to know what that means? Well, I don't really know, but it sounds good, right? 3.4 million things on your face making you look younger, healthier, more vivacious. What could go wrong? And then, of course, they have this eye serum called the Icon, which is, again, another great name. And you can put it right on your eyes and kind of the side of your eyes, get rid of those crow's feet, fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness, right? If you up, up late with the kids or up early to get a workout in, you want to be looking your best. Caldera Lab is here, made with top-tier ingredients. It's a great addition to your daily routine Get after it, friends. It takes less than a few minutes in the morning at night. It is good. It's good to do things for yourself. Self-care is where it's at. Gentlemen, it's 2023. If you don't have a skincare routine, let's get on it. We're here to help get 20% off with our code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com. That's 20% off. An amazing deal at calderalab.com by using our code MOREGOOD. Jump into skin and first impression royalty with Caldera Lab. Shout out to them. We love them. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. And I mean, I started with AG1 because I was tired of having all of these different supplements and things and, you know, worrying about getting all my greens in in a day, even though I do eat lots of veggies. You know, sometimes your day just gets busy and you don't eat the way you always want to. But I know with AG1, I'm getting everything I need right away in the morning. I drink AG1 first thing in the morning before any other coffee or tea or anything else. It's the first thing in my system. I wake up, take a scoop of AG1, throw it in the little shaker bottle, shake it up. Usually in these summer months, I take it outside and just drink it and it kind of wakes my whole body up. And, and not only is it the ritual that makes me feel good, I just know that when I do this small little habit for myself, I'm starting my day on the right note. And it feels good to do something good for your body. It's, uh, you know, 
just simple habits are what we're all after and simple habits that have big impact. And since I've started drinking AG1, I've noticed that I have better energy, improved digestion, which is always nice. And I've just felt all around much better, you know, mental clarity, those little things. And it's, again, it's no mistake that these things happen. 75 high quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. I can't think of any other daily routine that pays off as well as AG1, which is why I trust this product so much. And if you are looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1. And you'll get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. All you got to do is go to drinkag1.com slash more good. That's drinkag1.com slash more good. Check it out, friends. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. We are excited for today's conversation. We, uh, we've been doing some Zoom and it always feels good to have a real person in the room with us. So today we are excited to uh, share the table and the conversation with Laura Melling. Laura, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to A Little More Good. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. So <laughs> those of you, if you don't know Laura, she is uh, an incredible designer. She has her own studio, Laura Melling Studios, and you design spaces. And we're here to talk about the importance of aesthetic, of beauty, of space, creating spaces with intention and openness and just all of the things that go into the thought process behind design and aesthetic. And also, you know, we want to know a little bit about who you are as a person, how you ended up into the work that you're doing and some of the things that, you know, make you tick in terms of your work, but also life outside of that, because we're all more than just one story. So we're excited to dive in. Thank you for being with us. And um, yeah, welcome, welcome to the pod. Let's do this. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yes. I'm so excited for this conversation, Laura. Um, whenever we get together, whether it's cycling or, you know, we recently worked on our own home together with you, which was, you know, a great experience. Um, I always admire your, your wonder, your excitement, kind of the energy that you bring into the space, you know, whether we're riding up a mountain or talking (laughs) about design, you bring a certain energy to the conversation that always uplifts all of those around you. And Mm. I think, as I've gotten to know you more, I can start to like pinpoint like your spaces that you've created because they, they hold that energy. Mm. And you, when I walk in, I feel that, that sense of being. And I, I want to get into that energy that space can create um, into creative practice, into all of your influences. But before we get there, maybe we can kind of rewind, rewind things back, kind of set the table um, to how things were with your practice growing up? Like, were you a kid that was into the arts, into creative practices? Were you drawing, doodling, <laughs> crafting? Like, what did, what did that look like when you were a young, young Laura? Yeah, growing up. So I was born in Newfoundland, um, but I moved to Victoria when I was only three months old. My dad was in the military and he was posted and we lived on the base. And then I, I grew up in Victoria uh, until I kind of left to go to university in Toronto. So... Growing up, I went to a school, it was a private school, and honestly, there wasn't very much space for um, being artistic. Um, it was a very, you know, you, you the end game was like doctor, accountant, lawyer. And I was smart, but I really didn't fit that mold. So I was always trying to find ways to... It, to just kind of be more expressive and kind of connect with creativity. Um, 
I can remember having a really early spatial awareness and like tactility and was drawn to materiality and like, um, you know, in the, in the late eighties, my mom, I remember her doing this renovation and it was like, she hired, uh, these artists to like faux finish the wall in like a melon color. And there was like, you know, um, matching drapery and upholstery. Like it was, it was the eighties, but it was, the, there was this artistry and tactility. And so I was starting to see this, um, kind of landscape um, but still couldn't really connect the dots. But I remember, you know, when given the choice of how to express ideas, even if it was in a class like that was not art, I would try and make little models or maquettes or some kind of three dimensional embodiment of ideas as opposed to like writing a report. Um, and uh I, I was fortunate to be a part of the IB program, the International Baccalaureate program. And I think I, in like from grade nine till 12, figured out how I could like finish all the science and math early so that in grade 11 and 12, pretty much all I did was art and languages. And that, that felt great. Mm. But I still didn't know, like it was still, you know, when I think back to kind of the career and personal planning there was nobody like me coming. There was certainly no female entrepreneurs. There was no one in the creative space. Um, so I still couldn't really grasp like where I would go. And I went, you know, went through the typical processes of applying to all the regular universities, like all my friends were and got in, but I was like, this doesn't really feel like me. So, um, yeah, took, took some time off and I'm sure we'll get into the next part of the process but yeah yeah it's amazing that you had that awareness that that wasn't for you because I think a lot of like most of us go and we kind of take throwaway degrees we get an arts degree a psychology degree not that not to minimize those degrees but it, they're not kind of career oriented yeah um or they're not they're just kind of I don't know what to do next. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to take these courses. They're going to fill this time and space while I figure out what, what I really want, what to, I do. Really want to do yeah. rather than just acknowledging that, oh, this isn't for me. Let's figure this out. Yeah. I mean, I can remember making like um, uh, we in our grad like art program, I think I was doing like tech, painting on textile. And so there was like really t tangible stuff. But yeah, and, and starting to watch, like, um, HGTV and, like, you know, that show Trading Spaces. Like, we were talking about right. that today in the studio. Like, Ty, he was awesome. Yes. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't quite that, but it was like, okay, you know. And, and I can also remember um, one of my friends at the time, his mom was a, an interior designer or more of a decorator, perhaps. And I, I would spend a lot of time in their home, and it was all white. And I, if, if I think back on, like, really impactful spaces or spaces that started to kind of open my eyes to like what could be a DB Han, like I, she, her space, I was just constantly in awe of. Um, it was like that shabby chic, like white on white on white. Mm. <laughs> um, and then the, the other part of that, like this is not so much like uh, artistic stuff, but I did have like an entrepreneurial spirit. Like I started probably my first business in junior school when I persuaded my friends to, we made friendship bracelets and I was like, okay, let's, let's take this to the next level. And we made a business to sell them at the market. Right. So that was the first of a few, but there was that, those two things that I was trying to figure out how to bring together. Mm, I yeah. love that. <laughs> so you're, you're, you know this about yourself. I think it's so good when, when young people can kind of identify, I have these gifts or passions or talents. And then it's kind of like the, so now what, when you look at the landscape and you're like, I don't really see where I fit in. Like you mentioned that there wasn't 
those people coming to speak at career day or come in to, you know, give an assembly and be like, here's how I didn't follow a, a typical path. So, so what were kind of the steps for you to say, either find people that you're like, okay, I want to move in a direction of where she is or they are or whoever it might be. Um, what were some of the steps that helped you f- like bridge that gap to say, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily see myself or the world isn't serving me the version of myself that I want to be. Mm-hmm. So how did you start to create that or pursue that to say, step into like, what's, the, what's the next, what's the next step? Yeah. yeah so I, I took a year off after I graduated. Um, I did a Contiki tour to Europe by myself. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then now looking back, I was like 18. Like, what was I doing? It was super fun. <laughs> so we took that time off, had a bit of time to reflect because everybody else just like went right into university. And I was yeah. like, I, that's not a good play. And it's also a waste of money if I don't actually know. And I think also like a- acknowledgement to my parents to see that I needed that space to reflect, to figure it out, to, to not push me into that typical path. And then following that, I enrolled in a school that was in Victoria called Pacific Design Academy because I had started to understand like, okay, design, architecture, like let's try an interior design diploma as step one. And it was like a one year program. So it wasn't like a degree commitment. And I could, I could tell right away that that really lit me up, but it was a smaller school, smaller program. And at the time, my then boyfriend, now husband, because we have been together since grade 12, Quinn, he moved to Toronto to go to U of T. And I, you know, full transparency, like I was just like, well, I need to move there too. (laughs) 19 years old. Um, So I was like, what design school can I go to? So I applied to um, Ontario College of Art and Design which is an amazing school. Um, and I, the program that I ended up pursuing, I mean, I didn't even really know very much about it, but it was, so I have a degree, so I have my diploma in interior design, and then I did a degree in um, material arts and a specialty in um, textiles, but it's a degree of design. And that school allowed you to choose if you wanted to do a fine arts degree or design, um, bachelor of design. And that, that's where I really, like, I don't think up until then I really understood, like, the paths that could then be taken. Mm, okay. And it was, like, it was, there was so much studio practice and, like, making stuff. Like, we I was doing silk screening and weaving and, like, you know, now looking back, it's, like, it was amazing. Um, and there was also this one class, uh, Guerrilla Entrepreneurism. And that, I remember those classes, I was like, oh my God, okay, like this is how these pieces come together. And then we learned how to write business plans and like just hash through ideas. And that's when I really started to like uh, um, appreciate the opportunity, I think. Right. Um, and, and still at that time, I think I didn't have, I mean, I worked, I was very fortunate to work for Lululemon that whole time. And so when I think about mentors, or, or people who are, you know, very open and sharing of ideas. It was probably my leaders when I worked with Lululemon who there was just so much open communication with. And I knew I was always not going to, I wasn't going to continue on the Lulu path, but I was so grateful for like the enrichment and like education beyond the Luan hmm. when I worked there. Yeah. Cause those were like early days. Early of days. Like, yeah. Like t- we're talking 2000 and two onwards for like 10 years essentially right yeah. and there was lots of like 
personal growth and development courses and things. I mean, it was the ideal job, really. Like, you know, we, yeah, we had, you know, the, 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 the poster up on the wall and it was like, here's the library of all these like entrepreneurial and like personal growth and development books. And you get a star if you read all of them. And, and then here's a, you know, you can go for free classes. And like, it was amazing actually looking back on it. So those were probably like early mentors in my space. Um, and, and starting to see, I think, community has always been a really intrinsic value for me. Um, and then and, and starting to kind of layer that in to these, this entrepreneurial thing and this creative creativity thing um, that, yeah. Hmm. So cool. And now, I mean, I think it's really neat now, like you could be the type of person that shows up to a school and like is, you know, representative of a path. That I'm someone so happy you bring this up, Dean, because I'm trying to get into the mentorship pilot program at my high school. Okay. Amazing. I think that's so important for children to see a full spectrum of what is out there. Like, you know, Zach, earlier you brought up this, this idea of, you know, these degrees and maybe you don't have a, a, a immediate uh, touch point of a job right after, but like, and this comes from no place of ego, but I was probably within my circle of friends who I graduated with, I was probably the first to be working in my career, like right after my degree in Toronto. And they took much longer. Mm-hmm. May that be they went on to a master's or further education, but like, or, you know, combining different things. But that was kind of interesting to me because it was like, nobody talked about this path, but like, it's actually super direct, yeah. or at least I made it very direct. Right. For sure. Yeah, I, I still have friends, you know, that are still in the educational loop that, you know, yes. took their, got an arts degree and then got a master's in something and then got like kept going just because they're still trying to figure out what's next instead of taking that pause, yeah. you know, taking that Contiki tour to, you know, <laughs> yeah. connect with like, okay, what is this next step instead of just continuing and to And just walk. like listening, yeah. right? Um, interesting. I just thought of this now, but you know, when I speak, when I think about my parents, um, neither of them were entrepreneurial. I mean, my dad had, he was a doctor, he was a GP and he had his own practice, but a little bit of a different entrepreneurial thing than what I'm in now. But my mom was always very like community. I get that from her. She was always very involved. And I remember probably when I was probably right after the Contiki tour, um, you know, Hay House publishing, like, do you know, you know, like Louise Hay and like, um, was what's what's the guy's name Wayne Dyer yes she took me to a you can do this conference in Las Vegas and I remember at the time being like what the fuck am I doing here with all these like middle-aged people like I was probably like I don't know like 20 or not even yeah like just very young still but it was really eye-opening and you know when you talk about all this like affirmation and manifestation and and, like so there was that happening which I think has been um you know very influential that's so cool (laughs) so funny my mom was like very on that path too. really so I was like you know the crystals and like (laughs) so I was reading like Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra and she had the Louise Hayes books and you know all the Eckhart Tolle and all that stuff when I was like 20. I was like, this is interesting. I kind of like, you know, it was before I wasn't as comfortable. Like I was this athlete, you know, so it kind of like 
keep a little my, too woo woo. I'd keep it like under my Michael Jordan books or yeah. whatever when my friends came <laughs> over. But that's like my, at the th- time, I don't think anyone. I told anyone I was going to that conference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are my true colors, though. Yeah. I, was, I was just hiding them. That's right. Yeah. Masked, masked by Michael Jordan. <laughs> masked by Michael Jordan. Yeah, I like sports. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check out my Muhammad Ali poster. <laughs> right. All right, so we're reading Louise Hayes. We're working for <laughs> Lululemon. We're we're all going to OCAD, exploring materials and textiles. And I think that's so cool that you had that guerrilla entrepreneurial class because mm-hmm. I, you know, I went to the counterpart here. I went to Emily Carr, yes. and there was like no business, no marketing, and like I was fortunate to have a father that was in small business that kind of instilled that in myself. But mm-hmm. I remember seeing my peers and being like they've graduated and they don't know what to do. If they're a fine artist, they don't know how to sell or market themselves. Mm-hmm. If they're not a fine artist, they don't know how to like convert that into a possible career path. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we learned so much great theory and it was fun and, you know, lots of amazing art is created, but there was, there's, uh, hopefully it's changed now. This is a long time ago, but there was no kind of connection between the business, the business of art, of art. Or, or design. And, and the reality is that most people who go to designer art school end up being an entrepreneur. Yes. And so wouldn't that be amazing if they could have a, you know, that, that class guerrilla entrepreneurism, I remember, I think I took two sessions, like two years of it. And it felt like, a, you know, a, a condensed business program for mm. us because otherwise, yeah, like I've not really had any other exposure to that, the, the business of yes. what I do. And like that, that's actually takes up way more time than the creativity. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I started the business, I was like, like profit and loss. What? Like what, what is, what is this? <laughs> Can I paint it with my fingers? <laughs> like. Yeah. I mean, I'll just try and make the spreadsheets look pretty. That's, right. yeah. that's my gesture. Yes. yes. <laughs> how, how do I add color to these? Yeah. And not just red. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, that's well, good. Well, let's get into the, like, the creative process mm-hmm. and what creativity means to you. Um, I thought just as kind of a launching point, um, I can kind of share an experience and we can kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like traveling in my early 20s, maybe similar to your trip to, to Europe, Um, I went to South America and for the first time I really became aware of space and design. I think because it was Mm. different than what I was used to. So it took me out of my kind of usual ecosystem and kind of like, you know, threw me into this, this new, new reality and, you know, going into churches that were Mm -hmm. like 500 years old or going into like Mayan ruins that were thousands of years old or just seeing, you know, modern contemporary design that was different because it it was informed by a different culture, by a different history, by a different language. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that trip, I think about the spaces and I can like remember the details or how they made me feel. Oh, and I remember wow. like walking into spaces and noticing how my mood would shift in the space. I'd be awe-inspired by the light, how you know the windows were spaced to allow light into a space, or how a space could make me feel reflective. And mm-hmm. I never kind of considered that here because all of the spaces felt the same, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. All, of, all of the homes in the suburb that I grew up were all, you know, the Cookie same. Cutter, like, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, the, the buildings at the libraries would look the same. 
So it took me kind of getting out of my routine to to experience a spatial awareness and kind of uh, spatial experience. Um, so I just wanted to kind of like use that as a launch pad to talk about how like space can create awe, can create emotion and like how you use that kind of one as an experience, but two is like your paintbrush when you're kind of creating space. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, whether people realize it or not, space has so much impact on how we feel and our well-being. And, um, I really see my role as, you know, in, in my creative practice to, to just really connect with our, the people we work with and, and, and activate that and embody that. And it, and it can look different and, you know, for different projects, but, um, similar to your story, Zach, I, I, I was thinking leading up to the podcast, I was thinking about, you know, I, I grew up in Victoria. There, there, there wasn't really any modern architecture, um, or, or I can't remember any really impactful spaces that started to kind of like just shift things. But um, the year after the Contiki tour, Quinn and I went to Europe and we met a friend in Copenhagen. And that's when I first started to take in Mm -hmm. like minimalism and modernism. And we, you know, we went to shops and galleries. We went to the Louisiana Art uh, Museum and we went, we started in Copenhagen and we went to Sweden and then we went to Amsterdam and then we went to Germany. And in Germany, we went to the Bauhaus and I was like, holy shit, like that's where really started to, uh, similar to you, like experience and see like, okay, this, it just felt so, it really resonated. It felt like just, yeah, it it was really inspiring. Um, And then, but that was still kind of early in my practice. But then over the years, I've just kind of honed this, um, what I call just like a soft minimalism that's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hybrid of so many things that I've seen and experienced, but it's very much about how does it feel? Mm-hmm. Like it's about how it looks. And, and I mean, you know this firsthand cause you now live in a home that we designed for you, but like we do so much discovery with our clients to understand their values, their lifestyle, mm. how they live in a space, what their family does, what those different moments are, because then we can really kind of um, flesh out the process and understand. Um, it's like we dissect it and, and kind of uncover. And that process of discovery, just I, I get so lit up by and, and really, really thrilled to work with clients because I, I, do, I do think it, it's when people have spaces that are, you know, well aligned to their values and their lifestyle, you know, similar, I can't remember exactly what the phrase was with Lululemon, you know, like uh, tools for people to live a healthier, more happier life. Like I do believe that space can do that too. Um, and um, wouldn't that be amazing? Right? Mm. It's like, yeah. It's cool how those like um, details can make all the difference too. Yeah. like the hue of a lighting or, the, or yeah. where the light's located. Like, I mean, this is maybe a generic example, but like I remember like shopping in Safeway as a child and like the lighting always like Mm -hmm. bothered me and I was just like wanting to get out of there. And like there's obviously like a socioeconomic kind of 
very unsure. But then I remember going to like a Whole Foods or a Choices for the first mm-hmm. time and like the lighting was different. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, this is like more comfortable. And when you walk into a space that you've designed, like there's all these details that have so much consideration and significance to it like Mm -hmm. you know a couch isn't just a couch a light isn't just a light you know there's an experience that you're creating with all of these like signifiers and you know yeah it's like you're building the experience it's it's a spatial experience yeah it's Mm -hmm. through you know it's through if we're involved in a full scope of a project it's through space planning to make sure that the flow and the continuity of like where rooms are programmed works well and then it's like layered in with like the materiality so like the finishes the floor the walls like your millwork your tiles whatever and then there's the the last layer which is like um the furniture and the styling and and that like element to to just kind of elevate a space um but it's a thing like people yeah like when somebody goes into a space that we've designed and they echo back like it feels calm or it feels you know whatever the words are and it's like those are the words we used in the beginning like I remember Megan sharing with us that somebody one of your neighbors came in and they're like it feels so calm and I was like Yes, yeah. like which is an achievement is. when there's two uh, a five year old and <laughs> yeah, a three year old right? that are the opposite of calm. <laughs> yeah, but like when people can pick up on that, yeah, like, I've done my job. Yeah, like they feel it. I think it's so cool too. Like you know, we don't need to go into all of them, but like the the nine kind of steps or phases of like your oh, your projects. And yeah, the, the first one I really was really struck. The first one, and, and you touched on it, was like that idea of of discovery, like sitting down with whomever it might be and saying, okay, what what do you imagine or envision for this place? I'd be curious to know, like, when it comes to that, is that like show us your Pinterest board of like living rooms or whatever it is, or is it like what do you do you lead with like what do you want to feel in this place? That's exactly the question. Okay. I say, how do you want this to feel yeah. when we are finished? And uh, I kind of open it up to that. If the client has Pinterest or, or magazine Tara's, yes. as I love, <laughs> yeah. um, I am welcoming of those. But I like to kind of rewind it from the aesthetic, like in discovery. It's, yeah. it's more so about ideas and feeling. Mm. And then we build it and, and figure out how to embody it. Right. But it's interesting because some people, you know, it's very intentional that I have that process and those phases on our website because the client, road mapping the client journey is really important for me for setting expectations mm-hmm. and knowing what to expect. Like, how can we assume that somebody knows how the interior design or architecture process is going to go, right? Like, let's not assume. And so I was like, no, we're going to put this on the website. But still, even though we're descriptive about it, people will say, oh, well, we don't need discovery. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> no, we're part. not working together if you don't want discovery. Like, bye. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that part is, is really essential. And I think a lot about how to kind of guide clients through that. You know, um, there's been, I've, I've, I founded my business in 2010, so it's been 13 years and at times we've done different things. Like sometimes it's more of a questionnaire. Sometimes there's, um, you know, it's more in person. But for me, it's it's very tangible. It's like now it's definitely in person. I'm definitely involved in every discovery session we do because it's a sensibility. Like it's like it's a feeling. And sometimes through 
observation, I can actually observe maybe something somebody is not saying, mm. but I feel like they might want, or maybe they're using words and I'm like, and then I can kind of, um, play on that a little bit yeah. and, 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 and just and explore it to like unpack it and unfold it with them. That's just so juicy. Yeah. <laughs> have you, have you ever had it where like in that discovery phase, someone is like, this is what I want it to look like. And they lead with like maybe, yeah, clip out cutouts, Pinterest board. And you're like, okay, cool. How do you want it to feel? And you start to lead them through the process. And then actually what they land on is something different than what they thought they wanted. Like, is there some, some surprise baked into that where people are like, I want my living room to look like this. And then, you know, through some questionings, they're actually like, Oh, actually you land on something that's like different based on maybe how they want it to feel or, or some of the things that they're not saying. I think so. I, I don't know if I can think of an exact project at this moment, but I, I definitely can, uh, connect with, um, the, the end result or, or the process to the end result. It, it, being different than what they thought they wanted mm. and them st- and the client still being thrilled yeah. with the space. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. I just yeah. think that sometimes in, in, in life we're like, I want that. Mm-hmm. And it might be like an aesthetic or it might be something that we imagine is perfect for us. And then in reality, like it's yeah, I mean, not, yeah. on the journey to achieve it. We're actually like, Oh no, I actually don't want that. I, it's that part of it that I liked, but this is where I actually need to go. And this is the risk of something like a platform like Pinterest. Yeah. It's incredible because there's just such a resource. But when a client sends me, you know, these three kitchen photos, what is it about those? Mm-hmm, is it mm-hmm. the layout? Is it the materiality? Is it the light? Is it like, there's so much to, to like explore it. there. So, yeah. um, it can, it can, yeah, it, it needs, it needs further discussion. It yeah. can't just be a Pinterest board. Right? right. Yeah. That's that, like that influence of what you see around you versus, you know, we had said in the pre-pod kind of like intuition or that, that, that desire to know mm-hmm. or discover what mm-hmm. it is that you actually want. What do you want it to be like, feel like? Yeah, it's, this is, this, honestly, this is not coming from a place of ego, but I was having a conversation with a a friend who, okay, so he started as a client and now they're, they're friends. Um, We went out for their birthday the other night and um, I said, sometimes in the beginning, even from the discovery meeting, I know exactly what it should look like. Mm. Like I can picture it in my mind. I might not know where the towel comes from or where the fridge comes from, but I can picture it and it's like, it's, it's, it's like, it's formed. Um, and so when you talk about that, like influences, influence versus intuition, yeah, it's, it's like, it's there and it's kind of like uncovered very early, but I don't want to be like too eager and be like, (laughs) okay, I'm done. Yes. I still really like to allow space for process. And Mm -hmm. that's why we have that nine step process or phases. Um, and, uh, yeah, one of the things I just shared with you guys in the pre-pod, but the, um, we, for the first time, presented to a, a client for a, a townhouse development that we're working on. And yes, we looked at Pinterest in our, you know, in our discovery, in our schematic process, but in our presentation, in the image we shared in our pr- presentation, it was only our work to tell the story of what we thought it should be. And mm-hmm. that, that felt really incredible because... Um, it was it was just so real and connected and, and 
you know, we could so authentic, so honest, like mm-hmm. we, this is, we've done this and we can so effortlessly talk about how we did this and why. And, you know, yeah, going as from, opposed to interpret from Pinterest. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, which is a whole can of worms, yeah, you know, leaning on someone else's work and inspiration mm-hmm. versus being the content creators yourself mm-hmm. and saying like, this is, this is what we've done. We'll do more of it. And mm-hmm. this is, this is ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and I, I certainly always want space for inspiration and, and, um, you know, gathering, gathering that kind of leading with curiosity and just being out there and kind of absorbing. But, mm-hmm. um, it, it, that, that particular circumstance just felt really like beautiful and just like, whoa. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes I love imagining what life would look like through somebody else's eyes. I like yeah. I do that with my kids a lot. Like yeah, when yeah. they're playing baseball or doing something new, I kind of like just try to put myself in their their shoes and try to imagine that I'm experiencing this or seeing it through their eyes. And mm-hmm. I'm just kind of imagining seeing the world through your eyes, Lauren. <laughs> like just to to imagine the process. Like uh, I feel like you have a language that's your own. Like you're much like a painter or a musician, you're able to walk into a space and see, um, you know, sometimes I'll have a friend, just to give an analogy, that will like date someone and I'll be like, like, what do you see? And they see what's possible, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like you have that with space. You know, you walk in where someone might see nothing. You're, yes. able, you're able to see a whole new world, a, a possibility of... of 10 things that that space can become. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to take 10 steps to get somebody else there. But I, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I'm walking in your shoes, imagining looking through your eyes right now. And, like, <laughs> you can see w- where the destination is very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And and, and then the, the real kind of uh, task for us is to, yeah, persuade the client to come on that journey and trust us, you know. Um, we were speaking a little bit about law of attraction earlier and I do, you know, gratefully now after, you know, 13 years of, of being an interior designer and, you know, working with so many clients and having a a portfolio, people come to us for that aesthetic. They want, they want a version of that Mm. in their, for their space, be it, you know, residential or commercial or hospitality, um, and, uh, that's, that feels so great because we're, we're very rarely tasked with a, 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 a um, spatial experience that feels foreign. It's, it's, it's very cohesive and, yeah. um, yeah. And when you talk about kind of a, a visual language, I, I would also extend that to say, we actually have like a palette mm. and I've spoken about with this with Steph Corker before on her podcast, like it's, it's like Baltic birch plywood and it's gray wool felt and um you know white oak and some version of like white or like soft taupe matte laminate like there's there's very specific things that are kind of in the mix that we always come back to because they're just such beautiful standards and you can express them in so many different ways but it's um yeah, it's there. We're we're re because we just moved into a new studio, and we we're operational because we have our desks and our computers. But we're reimagining our storage and kind of spatial experience in our studio right now. And um, Anna on my team and I have been kind of working through different solutions and and thinking about what is the core material palette, and we got to make sure the studio is expressive of that, and not just for the clients. And you know, but it's it's definitely there. Love yeah. the language of Laura Mellon. <laughs> But it's so good. Like I think about it, you know, I've always been drawn to like aesthetic 
in imagery, in art, and increasingly more so in space. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, we're here in my home right now. And, you know, I have two young kids. And so there's whatever Easter basket <laughs> remnants and a tent over here. Like they got pulled down on the weekend. It's a white tent friends. though. It's, it's a white. It's so it goes. It's white. Yeah. Right? And, and it's like, uh, I always try to find the balance because I notice that like whenever one of my idiosyncrasies is like when I sit in the morning and try to, you know, carve out time for myself, like if the place is kind mm-hmm. of not somewhat put together, I feel not put together. Right. And like having uh, having like that kind of clear space, like helps me feel at peace. Right. And so it, it is becoming increasingly more important for like my own like health and well-being. As crazy as that kind of sounds, like my we space spend reflects so much that. time in, indoors yeah. in interior environments that we so want. Of, I think of like it's so natural that it we would be responsive to that those spaces. Yeah. And you like know? that it has that that has the power to like impact your mood and and how you feel positively or Or, like negatively right like why do I feel so stressed you look around it's like there's dishes and they're just like we just need to clean this place up yeah and part of it's like you know let it go who cares it's kids it's gonna be messy it's not perfect we live here right that beautiful mess yeah but at the same (laughs) time honoring that it does feel good when the space is kind of like organized and put together and I can sit and like look and there's not stuff everywhere like yeah that's yeah I mean we work with lots of young families when as clients (laughs) and Zach you know this like we really try one of the kind of guiding principles is definitely like this high low approach when we think about budget but it's also for families specifically and kind of in consideration of how do we create that spatial experience and that calm, even if there's kids running around and there's toys and all this stuff, mm. lots of closed storage. Yeah. Paired with trying to train our children to like, okay, clean up time. <laughs> like, let's put our things away. Yeah, yeah. And I do think like I've observed this with my daughter who's eight. She has sometimes resistance to when I ask her to clean her room. And then when she pushes past the resistance and she cleans it, she has such a sense of pride. She comes and says, Mama, I'm so calm in my space now. I'm going to make art or read or like, and I'm like, yes, this has a really direct impact on how we feel. Yeah. It's so interesting. I wonder if there's ever been like some, some kind of like psychological studies on like how, how space impacts mood and even, even beyond that, like our, our mental health. Right. Yeah. Like if we feel cluttered and stressed and anxious. Well, like what, what does our what, space reflect? Yeah. Like what there's that phrase, what is it like messy space, messy mind or mm-hmm. something like that? Mm-hmm. Like whenever I'm feeling, you know, scattered or, or need to kind of create a bit more of a, um, plan, I'll, I'll organize or clean up something. And that inevitably helps me to kind of work through whatever idea and just get a bit more clear. Yeah. I'm the same. Yeah. Like I need yeah. a clean space to, yeah. oh, to relax. Nice. If when things are messy, I'm like, Oh, feeling chaos. that chaotic energy or that stressful energy. And yeah, I'm just thinking about how like clean my house was as a child. Like uh, my mom did such a good job allowing, <laughs> <laughs> like distilling that, you know, the house had to stay organized and cleaned and there yes. were expectations to put things away. And like, because it's a, it's a collective effort, yeah. it, you know, in, in a family unit, one person can't be yeah. Just that only person, or else it's just way too much work. Yeah. Because when we're young, I think it's easier to go towards chaos, have your toys everywhere. But if you have that practice yeah. of putting it away, then there is that room to read or draw or create. And yeah, you know, if there's if it's just or a put mess. up the tent or whatever it may yes. be, right? Yeah. Reimagine the space. Yeah. 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 
One thing I'm always interested in is is practice. Mm-hmm. Um, creativity is a practice. Um, when I think about it, you know, I mentioned growing up as a as a child how things were pre-social media. There's lots of space for creativity. You'd, mm-hmm. You know, you'd have time between things. You'd be bored, and that would force creativity to like become mm-hmm. unbored. But today, it's almost a rebellious act to create space yeah. to be creative because there's so much filler. You know, mm-hmm. we can scroll till we're dead. We can like, there's things to entertain us and fill up our brainwaves everywhere we look. Always, yeah. So to create space and pause to have room for creativity, whether that's meditation or running or going for a walk or, you know, going to spaces to be inspired. Mm-hmm. Do you create like a space i i think people that aren't in the creative world like don't understand like they're just like okay make this draw (laughs) this create this you know like for me personally it's not a switch like it's a process um i can't just come up with a a painting or a concept i have to kind of sit with it and allow Mm -hmm. it to move around my body move around my thought patterns before i get to where I want to take it. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. just kind of curious what practice looks like for you in allowing space for creativity. Yeah, I mean, I think if it's there's been a lot of um, uh, trying different things over many years. Um, I'd say in the last five years, I've really leaned into a bit more personal growth and development Mm -hmm. through um, workshops with people like Chloe Gaugerit or Judy Brooks and learned kind of a new dimension to that. And when I think about kind of what are my, what's my formula to get to like, I would call it like flow state. Yes. Just like at this level where you're just like, you know, vibrational, you're, you can really like connect the dots and, and generate, like be really generative of ideas. Um, it's, so there's, there's an awareness that I need the space. Um, I find I love the mornings. Um, so like ideal day, I wake up at five, I get totally ready. And then I'm downstairs for, you know, if I'm lucky, Grayson and Hunter wake up at like seven. So like, let's just call it like two hours or an hour and a half once I'm down there. And that's just like, it can be space to get organized for the day. It can be space to read an inspiring book. Um, For a while during the pandemic, that space was for some kind of movement and meditation. I fell off that wagon, trying to get back on it right now, but it's still, it's a morning thing. It's quiet. Um, There's a warm beverage. Uh, it's usually like hot water with lemon, honey, and flax. And, um, so yeah, like quiet space to just like digest is a big part of it. Um, and then that's kind of counterbalanced with like community is such a a deep uh, value of mine as well. And so, um, making, being very intentional about, making space for community and connection out in the world is so fundamental Mm -hmm. to creative process and flow state because it's just, there's just so many opportunities and, and 
um, positivity and ideas and it's, you know, you can build off one another and, and share, there's this sharing and collaboration. And so there's, there's the quiet part of, you know, getting to the, the flow state. And then there's this like more extroverted piece of it. And then there's also just like observation, like, and that can come through, um, whether it's like going to a new coffee shop, like I've started to try and build blocks in my calendar of like inspiration time. Mm. <laughs> I will go, I will choose a new coffee shop. I'll go and I'll just like try and be very present, not have like work work to do, but like maybe it's some more personal project or some community outreach that I'm doing or, you know, it's, it's not like the day to day. And then just being in a new environment, like I remember reading a Kinfolk article years ago about what happens in our brain. And actually, this is kind of building on what we were just talking about, the psychology is like when we are in a new space, we forge new, it forces us to forge new patterns and habits, which just like opens up our mind and our capacity. And yeah, of course, our creativity. So like that being out in the world and in observation and presence is is really important and then the, I think the last piece is like cycling for me has mm. is really it's a big part of that too like that like there's very few things even when I go to Jaybird you know and do the you know classes it's like it's dark it's hot it's really loud music and that those ingredients let me to just really get into presence and like be there and 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 often work through a lot of ideas and cycling's mm-hmm. the same it's like it just connects me um, and feels so blissed out. I sent Quinn a text last night after my second session with <laughs> philosophy, doing hill repeats in the pouring rain, being like, what am I doing? And I was like, en route home, sopping wet, and so, so blissed out. Like, it, just those contrasts, right? Yeah. Like, he's like, okay, I'll make a bath for you. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I love that. There's so there's so much good there that, that just like, uh, I think, takeaways for like how to live an inspired life an intentional life uh, a life with meaning and purpose I love the idea of like blocking time I think Mm. that's something that that is so underutilized by so many of us and then we're we're like why don't we have time it's like if you just put it in the calendar it's way more likely to happen yeah yeah and seeing it like even how you said it's like not work work like sitting at your laptop or emails or phone or whatever but like counting that as like productive time because it's that important space that's required for creativity and Mm -hmm. process but also like even if we have a relatively uninspiring creative role that we're doing currently in the world you still just need that time and space to be in like a different way that helps you maybe solve a problem that's personal in your life or whatever. I, I think that that's, those are such important like takeaways for any of us Absolutely. to put into play. Right. And, yeah. and movement and yeah, being intentional yes. with like routine in the morning. Like these are all touch points that I think anyone can implement into their life that mm-hmm. will, will really like raise their overall functioning and feeling as a, mm-hmm. as a person. One thing I would add to it, or two things actually, uh, and I briefly touched on it, like the, the personal growth and development work, like the getting really clear on the why and the values, that was f- so essential. Yeah. Because yes, we're a design studio, but it's so much more than that. And so really kind of being clear on that. And then the other thing I would add is that I stopped drinking alcohol three years ago 
And that's added a whole other dimension to clarity and focus and ability to connect with flow state. Like almost immediately if I need to. Mm. Like originally I took, I was doing kind of um, elimination diet to, you know, explore what were trigger foods and blah, blah, blah. And yeast was one of them. So, okay, let's take out wine. Let's take out alcohol. And what I noticed was just like, oh, I have such better energy, so much more clarity. And then I was like, what would it be like if I just, I don't miss this at all. And so I don't think I would ever drink again because I, I wouldn't trade this kind of mindset or space, mind space for anything. Wow, yeah. So It's amazing when you do something like that. And then I remember like having this kind of awareness of like, wow, it feels so good to feel good. I know. <laughs> right? And then I'm just like, who else wants to come to this club because yes. you're missing out? Uh, it's a constant discussion. In sobriety, our I think sobriety is like <laughs> is the new party. But you know what? It needs to be better branded. <laughs> I think true. we need like Amanda from Monday to give it a new name. Yes. Because it feels like I didn't stop drinking because I had a problem. Yes. I know yes. that some people do. Of course. It was really intentional. But it saying that word feels like I had a problem. Yes, mm. we're we're the same. You like, know? I'll maybe have one or two drinks a year. Yeah. And <laughs> opt out ninety-nine percent of the time. And I always get that look or that judgment that like, oh, oh okay, okay. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. yeah. And it was similar to yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was an elimination diet, but it was a realization that I felt better mm-hmm. without it. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of in this pursuit of feeling better in all other aspects of my life. So mm-hmm. why would I, you know, opt into this one portion that was bringing me down? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. More clarity. <laughs> I'm in for it. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I mean, I do feel that there is a movement within the bubble that we're in of people choosing what to consume more, whether that's mm-hmm. food or drinks, um, and just being more clear with that that process. Yeah, I saw I saw a while back. I think I shared it with Zach. There was a thing I saw on Instagram, and it was like his person, whatever, doing one of these influencer like dance things or whatever, but it was like, we, we, the caption was like, we need a new term for, and then like the next bubble that came up was like people that drink like only once or twice a year. Yeah, totally. Right. Cause it was like the pre Christmas or yeah. New Year or something like this. And where like, you may, may or may not partake in like, you know, having a couple drinks or going a glass of wine, whatever it might be. But it's like, because some you know sober curious or you know spirit oh, free so, so, yeah but i got a lot of spirit, spirit so i yeah. don't want to say that I, I, I got a lot of spirit i love <laughs> yeah. that that's yeah. like a t-shirt that you'd buy but when or I, like a bumper sticker. Like I was at autostrada the other night i'm like what do you have that's spirit free because that's what you say yeah. right yeah yeah so yeah we got to get amanda on this yeah okay let's okay. think on this <laughs> a new term take over take over the world those that are Right, I want to. Like, when your server comes, you just like. I just want to feel good tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. What, what food do you have that will make me feel good tomorrow? Feel good. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's got dairy. Okay, that's not gonna make me yeah, feel good. Right? I don't want that. Oh, that's got alcohol. Like, oh, that's not gonna make me feel good. I want the I want the feel good menu. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? The intentional menu. Yeah. Okay. So one of the other things that you talked about in terms of feeling good, mm-hmm. cycling. That's mm-hmm. the, in many. I, I think that's how we know each <laughs> we other. We right? Through. Yes. Man, back we've done a fondo together, all three amazing. of us. Yes, true. Okanagan, yeah, yeah. And, and part of Whistler. I did Whistler with you, but not. I didn't ride with you the whole time. Yeah. No, no, I didn't ride the with you. The first time we did it, though. Yes, because I mean, I mean, running into you at the like registration 
Yes. That was the first year and we were like, what are we doing? Oh my gosh. You were the first person I saw actually when I um, completed my first Whistler Fondo, which was like very dark for me. And I was like, oh, yeah. a face that I yeah. like. Like, yeah. let's talk about how hard that was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, but, and that's but, how we met Dean. Yeah, yeah, through through Juice Rock, we kind of had that mini cycling club, club. there. It was amazing. Yes. You know, a pre a pre COVID. Uh, <laughs> we'll bring it back. Yeah, I keep saying that. We got to bring it back. <laughs> the time is now. Yeah, but it is. I, I love it because some of the some of the pillars or things that are really important in your life that like you touched on is community and and cycling can offer that. It's such a great community of of people, and you ride. You can ride solo for sure, but mm-hmm. there's something quite. Uh, just amazing about riding in a group, a little peloton where you can be chatting and you can be giving it up a hill and encouraging one another on. And, and, and it kind of like creates that sense of community shared suffering. Maybe sometimes yeah. it feels like, or yeah. just like this collective unit. We're all individual cyclists, but moving together as one, there's so many good metaphors to it. But I, I think uh, I remember like some of those group rides or for sure the Whistler Fondo and like, there was a small group of us all riding together, I think up until like around Alice Lake or yeah, something. Yeah. And then I think I got too tired. and was, <laughs> <laughs> I fell off the back. <laughs> See ya. Y'all go. See ya. I'll see you in Whistler. That's, that's the best on a steep hill. Hopefully. Like, I'll catch up to you guys. We'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you. The gap just gets yeah, bigger yeah, and bigger. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a problem with my gear. <laughs> I'm not tired. Yeah. But it was so fun. Because that race is crazy. It's crazy. The Whistler Fondo. But you you can have conversation and 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 get to know people in a really meaningful way, and so I mean and it's awesome. But like, what maybe like what are some takeaways of from, from cycling that has, it has given you beyond mm-hmm. just you know just the, the getting out there and doing of it. it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can very much remember the sensibility of being so scared to ride from Vancouver to Whistler. I mean, up until then, I was doing spin classes at Eastwood. Right. Like I didn't even have. A, a road bike and then I got a road I got a hand-me-down road bike from my dad's girlfriend because she was really into tries and then we started to ride outside a bit but that I was really I was like that is so far it feels so far in a car like yeah. there's no way and then you know got just really ambitious signed up saw Zach at the registration and just you know showed up but the the first time I did the Whistler Fondo is so symbolic because it taught me that we can do anything we can put our minds to and those can be very hard those can be super physical they can seem just totally unattainable but biking for me is just this symbol of like you just keep pedaling Mm. and you will get to the finish line it might be hard you might get emotional you might fall I've had a really big crash in the Whistler Fondo before but you get back up and you keep going and and it's just like it's so rewarding mm. and and cycling just continues to be that and also it's this is this may sound very shallow but um i like to have kind of a soft minimal palette in like most of what i wear and most of our environments but cycling like neon festival bring it on like all the like my bike is celeste turquoise i got neon pink and like it's it's a different form of expression yes i also grew up my dad was always in like tries and iron man so we grew up being this support crew like my mom we had this westphalia my mom would take my brother and i and we would like show up and like support my dad in these crazy races and I mean, he still does them and we still support crew and we make, you know, fan club t-shirts, but it's just, it's, it's so much more than the, the race itself. And, um, and then the community piece, just Mm -hmm. getting to connect with people that is like, you may not meet otherwise. And then isn't that um, beautiful? And, um, 
Yeah. And you, you did, was it, I can't remember if, if this is accurate or not. I remember you telling me, I think while we were riding, you did your first Fondo with your dad, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, it was pouring rain and I'd never been on my bike in the rain. And, right. and I mean, luckily my dad, I, I think he's been very much like a, um, athletic mentor in some ways. Right. Um, he was like, it's okay. We're just, we're just going to ride this. Like if we need to stop, you know, we'll do it. And I had a really big crash around Porto Cove, like huge yard sale fell off my bike. All my stuff was everywhere. Luckily no one hit me. Like I was just kind of by myself, but I remember just being so overwhelmed. And my dad was like, okay, you're not hurt. You actually have so much adrenaline in your body right now that even if you were hurt, you're not going to feel it. So let's get on our bikes and let's just, let's just keep going, see how it feels. And we finished the race and it was such, it was so meaningful. And like, I just love doing races with my dad. He's he's great. He's, (laughs) I, yeah, he has a coach, like he's, he's hardcore. I love it. I love (laughs) it because it's such a beautiful thing that again, cycling gives is like, multi-generational intergenerational it's something you can do with people that you can you, keep on going yeah because it's not as impactful on our body like running i know you guys love yeah. running i could never run because my hips always hurt or my knees hurt but biking just feels like this thing that we can keep doing yeah and travel hopefully yeah, i haven't done yeah. too much travel yet but i mean talking about seeing how we talked about seeing spaces differently that's one thing when i'm on my bike oh yeah i yes. notice things differently you don't i see, see them things in the car differently i'm like like it actually made me fall in love with Vancouver in a yes. much deeper way was yeah. once I started cycling Vancouver. I was like, wow, this is this place is special. Like mm-hmm. yeah. how you can like cycle really from sea to sky. Yes. Um yeah. like from the beach to the mountains, yeah. through the forest. Like it's very awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um and I loved what you spoke about um in that it kind of gives you the confidence to do hard things. Like if, if you're not a cyclist and you see these people going up a steep hill with these wheels, that's like counterintuitive to go uphill with a wheel. Um, but once you get up that hill, you kind of feel like you can do anything. You can yeah. do anything. And yeah. that transfers to wherever else you're going in that day and that week and that mm-hmm. month. Um, just a practice of doing hard things allows you to... And the commitment of just like showing up and putting in the work. Yes. And, and that, the confidence that that can bring. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool how that can kind of bleed out I into... I didn't expect that. Yes. When I started cycling. Yeah. 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 I know. It's so funny. Sometimes I'm, I'm in the car and there's like traffic or something. I'm like, oh, I'll just like cut down here, cut down here. And I know, I know a way to go. And then you get there and you're like, oh crap, you can't do it because I'm not on my bike. Yeah. Like it's like a cycling route that I know. But then you get through the car, you're like, oh, that's one way. Or that's like cycles, cyclists only there. So I'm like, crap. You got to yeah. like, but it is, it's such a great way to see the world from a different perspective. And uh, circling back to even with you riding with your dad and stuff, I remember when you were telling me that story and I have like two daughters yeah. and being like, oh, I was like, that's the goal is to be able to instill in them a love for whatever it might be, some kind of sport, some kind of movement that we could like do together. And I just, yeah. even like hearing you share that's it again, so that's special. just so inspiring. When we like, go for family bike rides, like, you know, just city bike rides, um, my daughter can bike on her own, Hunter, so Grayson can bike on her on her own, Hunter is still in the like, yep mini on my bike but and then Quinn and I have our own uh, but um the the feeling of bliss and contentment is just so present in those just being out and like observant and really like with them it's like it's pretty magic so good 
And it yeah. kind of gives you that space that we were talking about for creativity yes. too, because you're not on your phone. At least yeah. you shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, you know, you're either except to change the playlist on the Bluetooth speaker that's on Quinn's bike. Yeah. Because yeah. we need music and we're rolling as a family. Yeah. Keep the, the kids. Crew. Keep the kids. The soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Right now it's SZA or like um, Taylor Swift. Oh, nice. Nice. The that's second it. Fondo that I did, the Whistler Fondo. I remember li- you're not supposed to listen to music, but I listened to like the whole Taylor Swift Lovers album. Yeah. And it just like kept me going that ride because I was by myself so much of it you know so yeah. funny it's funny like the songs you get in your head too like I remember yeah. cycling when I first got into it and Finn was like you know maybe a year old or so and I'd have like kind of all of his like kid songs stuck in yeah. my head and I'd yeah. be like going up a hill like baby shark because you're kind of in that like yeah. trance like rhythm I'm just like I need another song yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. SZA, that good that song "Good Days" would be a nice a nice cruising, yeah, sunny day bike song. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> she's amazing. So one other thing I'd love to talk about um, is business as a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there are are different challenges and opportunities um, being being a woman in business that Dean and I can't you know connect to or relate to, and I think it's. A very, very much an example of the the advantage of the patriarchy. You know, like <laughs> you know, Dean and I both have children, but we didn't take a mat leave. Mm-hmm. We weren't responsible. Neither for, did I. Yes, yes, <laughs> and we'll get to that. Yeah. But we weren't responsible, like yeah, responsible yeah. for breastfeeding, for yes. you know, for being that. That kind of primary, immediate. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. And, so, well, and society. Yeah allows for men just to keep going whereas the expectation is different for women whether mm-hmm. you follow that or not mm-hmm. um so i think I'd, I'd love to hear i'd love to shine a light on business as a woman and and just kind of your journey as a as a mother in business as well i know you mm-hmm. had some challenges uh, that you overcame with your your reproductive mental health having a second child when mm-hmm. your daughter was seven mm-hmm. and I, I think like one thing that we always intend to do is to you know share our own vulnerabilities and challenges and you know those those mountains whether on a bike or mm. in birthing a child that we've yeah. overcome so that you know other people that are maybe in that challenge can can see light through other people's paths mm-hmm. so maybe uh if we can kind of just give space for you to to share that experience and yeah. and that process and and getting to where you are today yeah so when i started my business in 2010 i didn't have any children um and i maybe had a few years of, of building it my daughter was born in 2014 so i had say four years and um then once i had her i i really didn't take a mat leave because I, I didn't, I mean, I probably could have, but it, it was, it was, it's an interesting juxtaposition because as an entrepreneur, it's like you work so hard for momentum and then you start to get it. And then it's like, well, no, I can't take a pause to raise this child. But even though I didn't really take a mat leave, I also didn't really have proper childcare. So it was very, very pressurized and tough and um, we were lucky, like, w- although we live in Vancouver, our both sets of grandparents live on the island in Vic- Victoria. And they generously, like my mom and, and my mother-in-law would kind of trade off and come over, you know, one day a week type of thing. But 
it was very, very tough for me because I felt like I didn't have the support to really go out and do what I needed to do to build and grow my business. Um, certainly for that kind of first year that Grayson was little. Um, uh, right before she turned one, I that was kind of the first time that I started to pay for an office space and I moved into the aviary, which was a co-working studio. And it was founded by two women who had gone to architecture school and were great friends, and they also had children. And that was when I started to see this kind of um, just like web of like uh, these other kind of support systems. And I remember Andrea, one of the co-founders, like she was the person who introduced me to the first daycare that Grayson went to. And then it was like, oh, like one level is unlocked. Okay, like I have this (laughs) capacity and, you know, we're not juggling so much and, um, so is it really interesting to start to see that kind of exposure and, and support? Um, and you know, we ended up being at the aviary for four years, I think eventually we outgrew the space cause we had four desks and we were kind of taking over with the samples. And so we ended up going to our own space, but the exposure to other women in business, um, and specifically like mothers who were entrepreneurs was just so incredible to just learn and share and you know how are you doing this and how do you balance all this and do you still have time for self-care and what do you exercise how do you exercise you know all that stuff and um starting to expand up even more so than just like what I think when I first started the business certainly when I had kids too like it was more narrow focused on maybe designers and architects and then that started to shift um, when I met uh, Vivian, who owns Flax Home, and it was like, oh, like they had this like lady business club, and we would go for dinners, and then they had a conference, and so there's this kind of more holistic community in uh, people in other disciplines, and so much learning and, and discovery happening. And then fast forward a few years, um, I mean, the pandemic was in the mix there. <laughs> that was really hard because my business was, our industry, gratefully, was really, really booming. Um, and I went from a moment in, you know, March 2020, where I had a team of four to a few months later, they all decided to go their own way. And so I had this like very busy pipeline and nobody to do the work. And so there was a few years of, um, a lot of trial and error. <laughs> it's very hard, as you both know, to find really great people. Um, and, 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 you know, being a mother through that and, and in the pandemic and homeschooling and just all us uh, just so charged, but beautiful. You know, I, I remember just like making, making it all work. And we had actually like, when we moved out of the aviary, we moved to a new space in Strathcona and I took a studio apartment that was underneath our townhouse as my office. And this was in like November, 2019. And it was so, it was almost like we could see that in the future we were going to have to be working and homeschooling because that's what happened. And then we could, we could do all of those things. And like, we didn't have an office that was shut down mm-hmm. and, you know, but, um, yeah, like it's just, it's just so abundant, you know? And then, yeah, so that was kind of 2020, and then um, my husband Quinn really wanted more children. Uh, I was pretty content with one because I really ambitious and just really wanted to lean into my business. Um, and at the same time, I think I was 
open to, you know, I very clearly remember conversations with our, our couples therapist, Richard, about just being open to the possibility and like, nobody has to be right or wrong, but you can be open to it. And I remember doing this writing practice that I think Chloe had taught me about if you're scared of something or you're worried about something, write down all the, re like basically all the cons and the things that are just like your, your negative thought patterns and all those loops and then force yourself because it's probably going to feel like you're forcing yourself to write down the reverse and the opposite and all of the positives that maybe you're not considering. And I remember doing that with the, you know, the thought of what would it be like or how does this feel about having another child? And I was still at the time very indecisive. But then I got pregnant and I was like, oh, fuck, <laughs> what did I do? Um, and my daughter was like seven. So we were kind of, we'd gotten rid of all the baby stuff. We had moved on. And with my daughter, I was sick the whole time physically. I like, I threw up the whole time, but I, you know, made it through. That happens. It, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But when I got pregnant with Hunter, I was, I just went into such a dark place. And at first I really didn't understand it, but through conversations with very, very close friends, cause I didn't, you know, we didn't tell anyone for a very long time. Like, I don't think we even told our family until I was like past four months pregnant. And they were like, what? Anyway, I remember sharing with Barbara who owns Field and Social and Sundays. Um, I like, I'm pregnant. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I'm, I am so sick. I feel so sad and so overwhelmed and so dark and I don't want to leave my house. And, and also this was in the pandemic. This was in like tw uh, spring of 2021. And she like, oh my God, gratefully heard. She really listened and she heard and she understood enough to say, I think maybe you should talk to this friend who has experienced some, some like this mental health landscape when she was pregnant multiple times. And so I got connected with, with this other woman and started to learn that just like postpartum depression and anxiety is a thing you can actually, you're, you're exposed to it from the minute you get pregnant and just had, you know, no idea. And some people have it so bad that they need to be medicated. I did not need to be, be medicated, but just that start like starting to have awareness of like, this wasn't just me just really feeling dark. It was like, this is a thing. There's a lot of hormonal stuff going on. There's, you know, also layer into it. Like, I don't think I really wanted another child. So it was just like grappling with all of those things. So yeah, there was a few months of, um, <laughs> a lot of time at home. Luckily we were still in the pandemic. So like I could kind of get away with it. And, but then people started to be like, where are you? What's going on? Like, and then, you know, opened up a little bit. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Like when we, when we talk about kind of formula or ingredients or toolkit, like I, I do think that work on, you know, the personal health, the personal growth and development spectrum that ultimately really helped uh, to just remember and like force myself, get up early, get on your mat, put some, you know, meditative music on, do some form of movement, even if you're going to throw up in the middle of it and coming back, mm. but just, just start to establish a new habit, even if it just feels in complete opposition to what you think you should do. And it was, I think it was through that and through kind of reconnecting with community and just being like honest and really vulnerable that I started to feel more like myself. Um, 
yeah. And so we made it through, um, and Hunter was born and now he's a year and a half. And you know what? He represents this, like, I didn't, I didn't think I could do that. Like I, I was, I was so overwhelmed. It was so scary. It was such a pressurized situation for Quinn and I, but we, you know, you, with like intention and, and community and all of these things, you can make it through pretty much anything. And, and in some ways, Hunter was this trigger of, we bought a home. We had never owned a home up until then we'd been renting. So we bought this, like, I, I love our home. We bought it because we got pregnant with Hunter. And then in that home, we have actually three addresses. And I started kind of this little hospitality incubator called Kin. And just, it, it's, was this he was the domino for like mm. all of these other beautiful things and it like yeah so fuck yeah. <laughs> that, it was a lot but it was it taught me so much mm. i think that's yeah thank you for sharing that i mean <laughs> i think it's the, probably more women and and men potential parents experience that sense of of despair and dread at the thought of of introducing a child, whether it's your first or your second, because we don't always choose or plan for these things to happen and they happen. And then we're kind of forced with, okay, so now no matter which way we slice it, this changes everything. Yeah. And I think also our culture, it it doesn't hold a lot of space for, there's a lot of space for the like glow and positivity and that's wonderful, but it is not everyone's condition. And there's, I think the stat, like I've done a lot of um, outreach (coughs) and and volunteering with the BC Women's Health Foundation. Mm -hmm. And I think the stat is like one in five women are experienced this in some way. And like, that's a pretty high stat. And so now when I, you know, see or hear someone's pregnant, I'm like, but how are you feeling? Yeah. Because we, you know, I I didn't feel like I had kind of forum to share that Mm -hmm. or without, without judgment. Yeah. Because that everyone expects the kind of, stock answer so excited a little bit sick but like yay, yay. right and yeah. it's and did that's, not feel that way yeah and i think that that's not and even within within a pregnancy you could probably have every range of emotion absolutely right and that to create space and to tell stories that help people see like it's okay to experience these things mm-hmm. and have these feelings and mm-hmm. you know i mean i think back to earlier in the conversation when you're like i had these desires and and things that I wanted to do and be but there was like nobody that represented that for me that came in and say hey yes there's a there's a way to be a designer and an entrepreneur and a business owner and I'm doing it right and in the same way for these conversations around mental health we can we can play those cards so close to our chest and sometimes we need to Mm -hmm. in the moment but then once we like you say you kind of come out the other side and gain some perspective Mm -hmm. then you can you can stand up in the room and say yo I've I can, I'm there. I, I've been that, I've walked that path. Mm-hmm. I can help you. I can offer There's my so insights. so much compassion for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I think is such an important role that we can play. And, and it's how our, it's how our wounds can become the source of healing for others. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and our struggles can become the source of a, a path for someone else to help overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really good. Thank you for, for sharing that. What a beautiful boy he is, too. <laughs> He's a cutie. He is a cutie. My goodness. The first time I met him, I was like, wow. Forget two. You guys should have like a dozen because your he kids looks, are so he cute. He looks way more like me than Quinn, too. So it's even more yes. because it was so hard for me. Yes. It's like, yes, it's like I'm going to look like my mom. Just like, I'll give this to her. I know. Yeah. I'll look like my mom. Yeah. <laughs> That's so 
It is, he has no idea. <laughs> it, it is cool to see in retrospect too, like you mentioned that it forced, uh, well, it was your, your stepping stone to move mm-hmm. into your beautiful home and you know, you've got your studio and, and your hospitality business there. Um, how like, like how you don't know these hard things can actually be the catalyst for mm-hmm. They for can greatness. open you up yeah. to these, these possibilities that you just never considered. Yes. Right? And, and isn't that um, what life should be about? To just be, to, to be open and, and be curious and let things, you know, mm. evolve, right? Yeah. And have those, have those things, those consistencies of like community, like a, an outlet for mm-hmm. yourself, right? Acknowledging your, your health and well-being physically and mentally to know when to ask for help. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think, yeah, in many ways... You can you can have the framework that will support you when things are tough because we all know if we've lived a minute things get tough, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. And to to create those facilities for yourself to be able to to walk through it and and make make through it to have perspective on the other side mm-hmm. is so key. Yeah, Dina, I've got some notes here, and we haven't done this in a while, but I thought we could do <laughs> we could do a little bit of design creative rapid fire yes. as we kind of wind down towards our, our closing questions. I, love it. I have this kind of like fun, fun idea here. We'll see how it plays out. Hmm. It's a bit of an experiment. So let's do it. Bear with us. Love experimentation. <laughs> we're, t- we're talking about how design creates feeling and creates mood. You can almost say mood follows design. Mm. <laughs> so I was thinking we could throw out some moods or some feelings to you. Yep. And you could share either a space Ooh, okay. or, or a product yep. or something. The first thing that comes, comes to, to mind, mind. Yep. when we kind of share that emotion. Yep. Okay. Into it. Okay, cool. <laughs> some design role play here. Um, okay. This is the discovery process. This is the discovery <laughs> process. Like you've <laughs> never done and before. Go. We'll see where we go. Okay. Um, start with some easy ones. Comfort. Um, ooh, uh, in our living room on our like really comfy sofa with like lots of textiles and blankets and the fireplace is on and it's like soft and cozy. Nice. Yeah. Mm. Might be the same answer. Safety. Mm. Um, yeah. In our home, um, is our first home that we bought and just kind of the the ownership of it, you know, just the, like the emotional ownership of it. And then obviously the financial, just like that. It's like we've created this space to just create safety for our family. Yeah. Mm, that's good. I'll what let, a, what let about, you shoot something. I got some more. Here. Okay. Okay. I'm going to do an, uh, a space that breeds creativity or is like a generative space. Mm. Uh, so we just moved into a new studio and uh, it's uh, it's it's kind of like a co-working studio. It's called August Studios, and there's a number of uh, artist and designer um, spaces, and then there's more of a community space as well. And um, we can be in our you know rectangular white space and jamming as a team, and then we can kind of step outside of that and have just. Um, run into other creatives and just the conversation or the water cooler chat, you know, like I've really, really missed that over Mm. the last four years of, of being in our own space and just with our own team. And I think so much comes out of just that, um, 
that connectivity and collaboration. Like one plus one is always three, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I love that. I like that. Okay. Um, not in a sexual sense, but <laughs> uh, like intimacy, like it can be connection. One plus one equals three, yeah. however you want. <laughs> <laughs> So good. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like, um, I mean, two answers for that. On on a totally non-sexual uh, level, I think when clients trust us to when when we listen to them and we observe kind of their their routine and their their practices, and then we we have the the ability to kind of embody that in their space. Like that's kind of, that's intimate to mm. me. That's like mm-hmm. trust is, is really, really gets in there. So there's that. And then, and then like our, my bedroom, like it, we can see the North shore mountains and we have our Sundays like cloud bed and our Casper mattress and our flax home linens. And it's so cozy and mm-hmm. like a retreat, you know, um, to just kind of shed everything from the day or the week. So, a view is crazy. You have an incredible view at your place. We need a rooftop party this year. Yes, yeah. dinner's coming. Let's go. Yeah, let's we're supposed do it. to come to the last one, but you missed it. I so know, uh, you, we'll, we'll schedule it after the party. We'll I know. I rescheduled too many times. I was it, Hunter was like a week old. I think, guys. <laughs> like I was like I don't. I mean, I was really ambitious at setting that calendar, and then I was like, what was what he thinking? Yeah. <laughs> but luckily, you both have children, so you understood. We yes. That was fun. Throw them into the fray. (laughs) Okay, on that childlike, uh, what what is a space or a product or a place that inspires play for you? Mm. Um, (sighs) um, I for some reason I'm thinking of like a really beautifully designed like ball pit. I think. Uh, I can't remember the architecture firm that did this as an installation. It was a pretty large scale, very colorful ball pit, like really big, like for adults, um, color blocked, big kind of open warehouse space. And just like getting us out of our, um, you know, regular thought patterns and just infusing play and and curiosity and just kind of openness. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. What about... Um, we'll find the link and we'll put it in the okay. Yeah, there okay, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I mean, my kids, so <laughs> let's take them to a, I know. I'm having a cool ball pit. What was you know? it? Uh, They'll still cause the trouble. Like, yeah, there's one. At, yes. I think it's open again. Yes, I mean, it, it was is. closed for a few years there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Now it's open. It's open. I know. Now now our kids just want to go through Ikea with us and, and get, get stuff. Yeah. Like, Don't you want to go? And they're like, no. Can I drop you off at the ball pit? I mean, can I go to the ball pit? Yeah. No, they want... Yeah. They want to look at all the things now. It's great. But uh, what about like um, incorporating uh, like outdoors and nature? Yeah. I mean, we haven't really touched on that, but um, we as a family try and, you know, infuse as much nature as we can into our routine. I think that there's this just really um, like fundamental ability to connect with like source and creativity and energy and all of these things just when we're just in the forest or just Mm -hmm. by the water and you know, whether that's a very quick walk because everyone's in a bad mood or it's, you know, we'd go skate skiing or we go on a bike ride. Um, that's a really beautiful experience to, to create. And we, we try and do as much as we can. We mm. live right, um, we live in, in East Van, right by the PNE, And so we're very, it's very easy to get over to the North Shore Mountains and even up to Whistler. And, 
yeah, trying to trying to bring that in as much as possible. And I grew up with that, like with my parents, yeah. like being in, in nature, whether it was camping or skiing and mm. just that sense of awe and wonder. And, mm. mm-hmm. Nice. I think this is maybe an obvious question that we didn't ask and we can do some more feelings and, and moods, but you know, knowing your work and seeing your work, um, it's very obvious that nature plays a part in it. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious, how, how does nature inform uh, the aesthetic of your work? Yeah, I think um, the overall aesthetic, like if we were to give it kind of an umbrella term, is kind of this like soft, very approachable, like minimalism. Like we always want it to feel really inviting, inviting and welcoming. And often a palette is derived from perhaps natural elements like a beachscape or a mountainscape um, near, you know, luckily in Vancouver, there's so much inspiration that surrounds us. So often like palette is very directly connected to that. Um, And then like natural materials, may it be wood or wool um, or ceramics, you know, that's that that tactility um, that's always in the mix. Um, yeah, I love it. Is there a, is there like a, a design aesthetic that you love, but you would never like create? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. What is it? Um, uh, what's, what's it called? So there's, why am I blanking on the name? So there's this very like maximalist aesthetic. We have to find this name. What is it? Um, it's okay. We can just describe it. So it's super colorful. Mm. It's like very, like very sculptural, lots of forms, lots of like bulbous kind of shapes, mm. very tubular. It was probably most prominent in like the eighties. Um, a few years ago we worked with, um, aesthetic of excess. No, it's like a word. What is mm. it? I'll, I'll find it. Um, a few years ago, we were tasked to uh, dream up a project that was very much an expression of this. And unfortunately, the project didn't end up um, moving forward. We like did it, like we created everything, but then it just, it was in the development space and anyway, it didn't happen. But like, yeah, just like super colorful, very bold. Um, why can't I think of the name? No. But that's a good name. <laughs> okay, this is a challenge to our listeners. Know, so, like, like, if you know this name, throw it in the um, comments of this episode. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're definitely on the more minimal path um, for for really clear reasons because mm-hmm. I think that promotes this kind of well being that we're talking about in sense of calm, which I think we all need. But, um, yeah, this this. Uh, I've seen a lot of it in person at, at different design festivals and, and it's very bold, very loud. And like, I would say we're trying to infuse like little pieces of it. Like mm-hmm. we're definitely in a color phase right now within the soft minimalism. Right. Um, but it's, it's exciting. It's just kind of, it, it's, it, it's disruptive. You it's know? Your, that's your cycling kit. Yeah. It's design. my cycling kit. It's the neons. <laughs> the neons. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to think about that name. I, I think it's cool to like, um, you know, know your aesthetic and know your language and, you know, know what makes you comfortable and uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and find the in-between space that kind of challenges you to find, you know, something collaborative in between mm-hmm. what you know. Memphis. And, Memphis Design. Memphis Design. That's what it's called. Go, I really, okay, yeah. I was Googling Memphis it too Design. and I wasn't getting anything. Yeah. Nice. Sorry, what were you saying, Zach? 
Oh, I, I just, I, it's fun to kind of like find those spaces that are a little bit out of your comfort zone and see like you take your language and you look at that language and you see like where it takes you in between. I think there's always something exciting and mm-hmm. like like kind of electric energy between totally, those spaces. Totally, like connectivity and, and yeah, just yeah, how you can kind of um, take influence or inspiration from them, yeah. Yes. We're, um, I'm in the process of planning a trip to Design Miami, which happens in December. And it's amazing because Art Basel happens at the same time as the Design Festival, which is rare. Usually it's like one or the other. But the energy between those two shows is just so thrilling. And after a few years of no design trips, I think everyone, it would be really welcome for inspo. So I, I found this sweet hotel and I've already started a conversation about a group rate. Like I haven't invited anybody, but I've just started to be like, we should do this in December. We have enough of a runway, but I think the the maximalism and, and really colorful thing would definitely be happening down there. Oh yeah. yeah. Miami. I like, I love have that. Have you been uh, to Miami? I've never been in that kind of, I think I was like passing through. I went as like a teenager. So, yeah. you know. I was interested in like where Abercrombie and Fitch was, <laughs> um, like, <laughs> like the beaches and stuff like that. Yeah. So a very different time, yeah. time and space. <laughs> but I do feel like that, like those shows can kind of be like, you get the collective energy that a Fondo does have in cycling where oh, there's that, that collective pursuit of creativity and you can kind of get high on each other's flow Absolutely. state. Absolutely. And just get out of your routine, you know, mm. and then, and then so much can kind of be, be hatched and generated um one idea that i'm playing with right now is a workshop idea um that we're probably going to kind of start to plan and host in the next few months uh, now that we are in a space that we can host it in our new studio and it's about um we have a really specific formula on like materiality and the way we do mood boards and we're going to teach and share that with people and it's called wonder shop and that idea was hatched in a trip following a design festival and I still have the notes from when I when I first started to kind of process and, and dream up that idea with a very good friend of mine um and uh it's just so cool to see things like giving space and and originally that was that was five years ago so like starting to see like it starts to take shape and then it it you know like everything has a right time and I and when we moved into our new space it was like oh this is the place we're gonna host the workshop finally you know I love it when it comes together and I love the the concept like I think everybody aspires to you know evolve their space and how they relate to it and how they connect to it and you know everyone has a feeling or a style that they aspire to continue mm-hmm. to grow in their space. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll definitely share we'll that when that, posted, when that comes yeah. out. <laughs> well, we've got, um, Laura, firstly, I just want to say, you know, I'm grateful for your work personally, <laughs> because, you know, I think you've created calm in, in my home and, and beauty and, you know, a space that we deeply appreciate and love. Um, I, appreciate and I'm grateful for the work that you do in the community as a connector, as a collaborator, as a community generator. Mm. Um, I feel like you are elevating spaces and elevating people. And I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of, (laughs) of that community that, that we share. Um, we do ask all of our, our guests, we have one closing question that, uh, that we came up with on a run. (laughs) uh, The best ideas come when you're just, 
you, you know, know, out there doing something like allow, running or cycling. Yeah. Allowing for some space. <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, you know, I used to feel guilty about those spaces. Like I'd have to like kind of sure. hide that I was going for, for a run sure. or sneaking in a workout. But now I like acknowledge the, intentional, the importance yeah. of it. So Dean, I'll, I'll throw this over to you. I'll pass the I'll pass the ball to let you uh, close this one out, my friend. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thank you for for your time sharing your stories with us. Uh, so good. It's always so good to learn about something different. I've always appreciated design, um, but never really been able to know like why. And even just listening to you now, I'm like, oh, it's the it's the discovery phase. It's understanding like what goes into it and the feeling behind it. It's mm-hmm. like I like it because the way it looks, but more so I like it because how it makes me feel mm-hmm. so just kind of learning some some practical things about why design and aesthetic and, and beauty really matters mm-hmm. to me so thank you uh for that and for the work that you do creating spaces but we love to hear from our guests um we call the podcast a little more good knowing that's what we wanted to do and be about and see in the world and and kind of embody and create and we'd love to hear from from your perspective like what does that phrase mean to you in your life in Mm. design however you would take it what is a little more good Mm. mean for you yeah I mean I think um a little more good is is it's an invitation to express in my case um my values and and those would be that that wonder and curiosity the the community piece and and I think you know th- this this idea of of acts of service and contribution and supporting community is so essential to that um and 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 the collaboration like the 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 energy we've talked a lot about energy but the what can come when you join forces with people and you just you have no expectation, but you just create something that you didn't have before. That's mm. just so uplifting. And just, that's what I get up every single morning for. So yeah, a little more good. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I look forward to our next bike ride together, yeah. our next yeah. meal together with Dina and his crew, maybe yeah. a movie night. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, super excited to continue to create and share together, Laura. Thank you. Yeah. Such a pleasure, guys. Right on. Thanks, Laura. <laughs> Well, there you have it, friends. Laura Melling, the one, the only. You know you're going to absolutely be in love with that conversation and all of the things that Laura was sharing from her why behind design, her passion for cycling, and just that lifestyle of you know pursuing something that's challenging and showing yourself that you can do it to you know also shedding the all-important light on the struggles that we all face as individuals but specifically on something uh, as as niche but as deeply important as reproductive mental health and so as always right if you're someone who that struck a chord with on any level i mean follow up talk to a friend about how could you get into design or how could you start cycling or if you're a parent or someone who has had a similar experience talk about these things share them with the people that are closest to you or of course reach out to you know someone a trusted friend or even counselor or therapist to help process some of these things because let's be real life's too short we gotta you know work on ourselves and try to be just a a little bit better every day so huge thanks to Laura for an incredible inspiring conversation we really appreciate her and all that she's doing in this world and appreciate you listener for making it this far if you have thank you thank you thank you if you would take it one step further we would just ratchet up the gratitude give us a follow a like leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast that'd be hugely helpful in getting 
the goodness out there in this world. Thank you to our sponsors, Caldera Lab and AG1. Much appreciate the support. Get on there. Check out those products. They're incredible. We use them. We love them. We stand behind them. We want you to experience how good they are. And of course, to each and every one of you, thank you for your time, your attention, for sharing these episodes to friends who you think will like them, to posting them on your social media. We love it. We appreciate it. We appreciate you. So until next time, stay good, y'all. Peace.